This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Don't change that dial. It's time for Navigating the Newsroom. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Andrew. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to episode number 21 of Navigating the Newsroom with Andrew and Andrew. I'm Andrew Johnson, and this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted exclusively to discussion and analysis of the HBO TV series, The Newsroom. If you like this show, be sure to email us at navigatingthenewsroom at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, Now, as you may recall, on the last episode, we mentioned that my regular co-host, Andrew Robinson, would be away this week. He is up in Canada at the Toronto International Film Festival. I'm not jealous at all. (laughs) No matter what you hear, I'm definitely not jealous. Uh, But it's okay that he's not here because I am privileged to be joined by a very special guest. She is the features editor at Pajiba.com, and she is no stranger to podcasting. You can hear her discuss Breaking Bad every week on the podcast, The Ones Who Knock. She also pops up every now and then on the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com and Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan. I am convinced that she's gradually enacting a plan to take over the internet podcast by podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Joanna Robinson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, now that you've exposed my plan, I might have to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If I'm not on the show next week to discuss the finale. Everyone will know why. Yes. Yes. It was Joanna Robinson. She did it. All right. Well, before we get started, I have a small announcement. If you are a fan of Film Geek Radio and you enjoy our podcast on specific uh, television series, you may be interested to know that in a few weeks, we will be launching a brand new weekly podcast focused on the third season of the Showtime series Homeland. Uh, We're also hopefully going to be premiering a new podcast all about the new Joss Whedon series, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That one's not quite set in stone, but we're working on putting some stuff together for that. So stay tuned to Film Geek Radio over the next few weeks for some more details on, on, on some of that new programming. But uh, let's, let's dive into the newsroom. This week we're going to be discussing the eighth episode of Season 2 of the newsroom. The episode is titled Election Night Part 1. It was written by Aaron Sorkin and it was directed by Jason Insler. I believe this is Jason Insler's first time directing an episode of the show. And uh, this is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you are not caught up with the newsroom and you don't want us to ruin it for you, stop listening right now. Go watch Election Night Part 1. Why are you listening? (laughs) Stop listening. (laughs) Yeah, go away. We don't want you here. All right, Joanna, to kick things off, do you think you could go ahead and just briefly summarize what happened in this episode, just to give our listeners a little reminder? Um, Okay, let me do my best. So it's the election night coverage. We see our heroes sort of rallying around that. But also behind the scenes, we see that Mac really wants to leave the show for a number of reasons and she wants Will to fire her because he's the only one who can and will do it. Will is reluctant to and then they have sort of uh, this blowout and then he fires her. I guess that's the end of the episode. Um, And then <laughs> I feel like I'm doing a terrible job of this. And then Dawn, <laughs> no, it's fine. Dawn and Maggie are, are chasing a story out of California and what is Jim doing this episode? Skyping with his girlfriend and he's screwing up a call. Oh, right, right. Michigan, Mississippi? Yes, yes. And anything else? What else is going on? 
Oh, and Marsha Gay Harden is amazing. Yes, she's usually amazing. So she's <laughs> she's doing what she does. And basically, Charlie, Will, and Mac are trying to convince Leona to let them resign. Right. She, she won't let them resign because right. she's convinced that's the quote-unquote honorable thing to do. So before we really dive into specifics, Joanna, I'd just like to, to hear your thoughts on the newsroom as a whole and, and also – just your general thoughts on this episode in particular. How do you think that this season is gone and, and what did you think of this episode? It's hard. This this season had a lot of strengths that last season lacked. It might be that overall I liked the first season better. I have problems with it. I have a conflicted relationship with the newsroom. I think everyone has a conflicted relationship <laughs> with the newsroom. If, if you don't outright hate watch the newsroom, then it is certainly <laughs> conflicted most of the time. Yeah, so it's problematic. So I have... I think in the first season, I was still sort of like, oh, no, it, it's great. It's Aaron Sorkin. I love Aaron Sorkin. This this is a great show. And then I was sort of had to come to terms with its flaws. And so I walked into this season, eyes open, aware of all the flaws. They shored up some things that, that were problematic. But then there was like a whole new set of problems, in my opinion. I didn't love the Genoa storyline. And that's problematic because that's basically the whole season. But there were a lot of individual side stories that I liked a lot. And I thought those were better than they were last season. So it was a bit of a trade-off. They they did this big season-long arc, which I don't feel was really existent last year. And I didn't respond very well to it. But I, I really liked a lot of the other things we saw. Did that answer your question at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. Um, I, okay. I agree with you. The newsroom's definitely flawed. I ultimately enjoy the show and I keep watching it just because I love Sorkin's dialogue and I love his optimism. Yeah. At, at times it's a little bit too naive and optimistic, but but I'm, I'm still drawn to that. It's just a nice counterpoint to some of the darker stuff that you tend to see on a lot of TV shows these days. And like you, I wasn't really into the Genoa storyline when it started off. But the season gradually won me over episode after episode as as we started to see more of how they were investigating it and we, we started to learn why they might actually believe this story and, and, and think that it, there was some, some truth to it. It won me over and then I think the the Jerry Dantana reveal where he where he edits the tape, I thought that was just going a bit too far. I, I didn't think that was necessary. I was much more interested in the smaller little mistakes that they arguably made along the way where, you know, the story still could have fallen apart without Jerry doing what he did. I thought that was just a little bit too on the nose. So it's definitely been an an up and down season. What did you think of this episode? Well, I want to go back briefly to what you said about Jerry. I feel like he needed to do something abjectly villainous in order for the sort of injustice and frustration they feel around the the lawsuit to to be so clear. You know, it can't be that Jerry has any ground to stand on. It has to be upsetting and, and unfair. Do you know what I mean? Like, or, or maybe it didn't have to be. Maybe it could have been more nuanced and maybe that would have been interesting. But I feel like for what Sorkin is going for, which is sometimes the good guys get screwed by the letter of the law, you know, because our guys are the good guys. And yeah, they made mistakes. And, you know, and it's one thing to have the general public distrust them and to lose the respect and all the things that they've built, but it's quite another to be sued by the guy that kind of put them there, you know? And so that's the added twist of the knife. 
I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe we didn't need that. Maybe we didn't need that knife twist. But without the lawsuit, then we have no frame narrative for the entire season. We have no reason for Marsha Gay Harden to interrogate everyone and 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 get all the background and the exposition. So right, and, and I, I'm honestly, I'm still not sure that was entirely necessary. I mean, I've I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed watching Marsha Gay Harden question everybody, and I think it's worked okay as a framing device. I'm I'm just not sold. That it was completely necessary. You know, now I find myself wondering, well, what if we hadn't had that narrative? What if we hadn't known? Right. If it had just gone like sort of linearly. Right. Would that have been a better show? It's it's a good question. I think the whole frame narrative and sort of jumping around in time a bit got, I don't think they did it as cleanly as they might have. And I don't know if he was just like enamored of how well the social network worked in that same setup, because it's basically like the same setup as the social network. Yeah, like it didn't work for me. And I just preferred when I was grounded in the present of the story and I could follow something like Dawn or Sloan, you know, along a storyline that made sense to me. Oh, I also didn't like the Occupy Wall Street stuff. So yeah, there was like a bunch of stuff I didn't like this season, unfortunately. Well, you're you're one of the few guests we've had on who has said that they probably, I I get the impression you, you prefer season one to season two. I mean... Like I said before, it's complicated. Right. I think there are things they did so much better this season. I think a lot of the complaints that centered around the helplessness of the female characters in the first season were addressed in this season. I think a lot of my frustrations with the Maggie and Jim Dawn love triangle, like that was thrown out the window in the first episode. I was very grateful for that. I liked Jim on the road. I thought that was great. The Maggie stuff in its entirety didn't I guess I keep saying like this didn't work for me that didn't work for me but I I think it's hard for me to assess and maybe I need to wait until the the season is finished but it's a close race there there were weaknesses on both seasons and strengths in both seasons well what did you think of this penultimate episode of the season we're we're starting to wind down so were you emotionally invested at all in the fallout of all this Genoa stuff yeah, I, of course I am. I mean, because ultimately what Sorkin does very well is creates characters that I care about. I care about the Mac and Will dynamic. And when their dynamic works, it brings me joy. And in this episode, when they were locking horns, that upsets me. So that's a way in which I'm invested in those characters. I am more invested in some of the side characters, as I've mentioned. I've mentioned elsewhere, like... It could be the Sloan and Don show, and I'd be way more interested in it. Oh, I, I'm totally with you there. Don's been my favorite character for a long time now, and Sloan's probably close runner-up. Yeah, exactly. They're so great. And anything that they give to the Don character to do, like that final delivery of of the Petraeus like, sex scandal, like his delivery of that information killed me. It was <laughs> so good. Um, you know, so if it were the Sloan and Don show, I'd be fully on board. And um, they didn't have a lot emotionally invested in, in this storyline. They, they were sort of very peripheral. And then I couldn't help but compare it to other Sorkin political plots, like let's say the movie The American President or any election episode of The West Wing, when you don't know the outcome, that is such good election writing. He does a really good job with that. Right. But this is the the flaw of the show that is reporting actual news is we know what's going to happen. Right. So the stakes are how well do these people do their jobs while they're reporting the news? But it's impossible not to compare it to another show where we're like, who's going to win? We care who wins this election, you know? So right. that's, that's, a, that's a flaw of the show. Or not a flaw, but it's just a drawback to the whole conceit of the show. The fact that we know what's coming. Yeah, I agree with you. I, th- I think that's probably the biggest thing holding the show back. I- I've said for 
a few weeks now that I have my fingers crossed that the final moment of this season will be Romney winning the election. And that, that, that that's just – that's going to happen. Will's going to announce that Romney has won and then the show's going to cut to black, which means for season three, anything It's like an alternate, alternate like, storyline, yes. alternate history. Yes. Oh, I love it. That would be amazing. That, Let's I, do that. I have my fingers <laughs> crossed that that's what's going to happen and that Sorkin will just throw this whole conceit of setting it in, in our reality out the window. In, in regards to Election Night Part 1, I – wasn't a huge fan of this episode. I, I, it's it's okay. There were a few things I like. I like seeing the fallout from Genoa. I like how Charlie, Will, and Mac are like begging <laughs> to resign, right? And and they're not allowed to. I, I think that's really interesting. But a lot of this the stuff with the side characters um, really didn't do much for me. And because this is only part one of a two part finale, it felt very incomplete to me. It didn't feel like an episode that can stand very well on its own. It feels like we're still missing that second half. But but let's dive into specifics. In terms of the Will and Mac stuff that you brought up uh, earlier, I haven't been a big fan of that dynamic and, and their whole history. I feel like the first season just really hammered that in a lot and it it was always returning to the fact that they have this complicated history i like the fact that this season they've kept it mainly in the background and i like how it finally reared its head in this episode in that really great scene where mac basically begs will to fire her and he finally does that was fascinating to me just because will and mac in many ways, both seem like very... They, they have this weird sadomasochistic relationship in, in a weird way where where they both kind of love to just jab at each other, but they also, they like being humiliated themselves. Like, like Will just can't let it go, the fact that she cheated on him. He insists on torturing himself and torturing her for six years. Um, I, I think that's really interesting. But uh, you said that you really liked that scene. Did you feel that that w- had sort of been building throughout the course of the season? Um, I don't know about about building, but I'm glad it came to a head because I feel like, I mean, they've they've yelled at each other before. Uh, he's certainly yelled at her before, but I feel like he hasn't gotten all the way there angry with her, and that's what she was pushing him towards. And so it was it was cathartic to see, and then maybe it could go towards healing from there. There's also this weird thing that Aaron Sorkin does. It's it's well documented that Aaron Sorkin does this thing where he works out his personal relationship like psychodrama oh, on, right. in his fiction by like basing certain characters on his ex-girlfriends and that sort of thing. And so whenever there's something like that, you know, where Will is saying like I was a good guy, I was a good guy. You know, first of all, Jeff Daniels' delivery I thought was really good. And secondly, I felt like this is Aaron Sorkin working through some personal stuff, which sometimes annoys me. But when you write personally something that you are holding on to or, or feeling very strongly, that, that shines through. And that's, that's what it felt like to me. I could be completely wrong. But it felt like to me that Aaron Sorkin was working through some personal issue he had around a past relationship as he's wont to do. And so it struck me as authentic. Yeah, that's a good point. And I I like how it was easy to empathize with both Will and Mac, because on the one hand, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Will McAvoy as a character. I think he's been painted in pretty broad strokes throughout most of the series. But I can empathize with the fact that Mac cheated on him and he's still hurt about that. On the other hand, 
I I can also side with Mac when she says, you know, it's been six years. Eventually, you have to stop punishing me for this. That, I, I thought, was really well handled. And it's something that they have touched on before. I, I'm pretty sure in season one, there was another shouting match where Mac basically called him out for refusing to stop punishing her and, and blaming her after all these years. So I, I thought that that was a well-handled scene. I'm doubtful that McKenzie is going to be leaving the show right? permanently. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens from that. But I, I'm, I'm doubtful it's going to have any lasting effects. Right. So for you, then, does that confrontation have no meaning if you if the outcome is something that in the context of show business, in the context of God, I'm forgetting the actress's name, Emily Mortimer. Yeah, Emily Mortimer in the context of Emily Mortimer is not going anywhere. We're 95% sure, right? And so where's where's the drama behind her being fired when we know she's not going anywhere? Right. So that's I mean, that's a good point. Well, I mean, I've I've had issues with both the McKinsey character and the Will character. I'm just hopeful that after this confrontation, that relationship will actually begin to move forward and actually evolve. And, and it, it just feels like both of their characters have been stuck in a rut for large chunks of the show. I mean, that's true, but I also feel like there are elements of that screwball comedy plot of remarriage, you know. Right. But... It shouldn't be drawn out over two seasons of a television show, I guess. Right. The point the point of that plot, the reason that that plot's so enjoyable is is they're back together within two hours or an hour and a half, you know, in the old screwball comedies. And yeah, you're right. To draw it out over two seasons, to have them spar for two seasons, it just feels uh, wrong. The comedy plot of remarriage is my is one of my favorite storytelling tropes. But I, th- I think you're, you're right that if you draw it out too long, it sort of, some of the spark goes out. And it's something, not to like beat a dead horse or whatever, but it's something that the Dawn and Sloan characters do so well. They have that affection and support. You know, it's pretty obvious that they're pushing them in, in this romantic direction, but they also have little, little sparring stuff that they do, but none of it is, is toxic in the way that it's toxic with Mac and Will. And so. As you say, if one of the virtues of the show is the optimism there and Sorkin brings, like what place does this toxic relationship have in that world? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. The episode ends with basically all of this coming to a head and Will begging to be attacked on the air. And I'm I'm curious as to what you think that might imply for the finale and, and what you think he means by that. Well, you brought up this idea of, of sadomasochism. I think that's the phrase you used in terms of Will and, and Max's relationship. But Will just has that relationship with the world. He's got a very masochistic. Right. He has this like rock bottom self-esteem that's peppered over with all of his arrogance. And so in this moment, like after firing Mac, like he just wants, I feel like my interpretation was he feels like shit. And when he feels that way, he feels like he deserves to be torn apart. And that's what he wants. That was my interpretation. And if that means that Constance Zimmer, you know, who plays the Romney Mm -hmm. campaign representative or whatever we want to call her, gets like to dig in. I love her. So if that means she gets to like sort of tear the roof off the place next next week, that should be really fun. Um, I don't know. That'll actually happen. But um, Well, Constance Zimmer is fantastic. And I'm pretty sure that's what they want us to believe is going to happen next right. episode. But I find myself wondering if it's going to go 
the other way um, because it, it feels like season two Will McAvoy has been a bit different from season one Will McAvoy. In season one, he was very much about being that preachy, know-it-all guy who's going to put his fellow Republicans in their place. And we haven't seen quite as much of that this season from him. He's sort of been questioning who he is, who he wants to be, how much he wants people to like him. And I'm wondering if in the finale we're going to see that old Sorkin preachiness come back, where Will's going to beg her to attack him, and she is, and he's just going to fight back. I mean, that's that's entirely possible, and it would give Sorkin the platform that he probably wants to tear the whole Romney ideology to pieces. Right. Yeah, so that's that's probably a very good interpretation. Are, are you a fan of preachy Will McAvoy, or do you like this more, <laughs> this softer, quieter, a bit more balanced Will McAvoy? I liked, I feel like I, I did do a, a season one rewatch. I really liked the tea party sequence from last, but I am like, oh God, I am such a liberal. And so it's, <laughs> it's, it's this weird interaction that I have with the show because on the one hand, like I agree with a lot of Aaron Sorkin's preachiness because I am such a liberal. But on the other hand, like I feel guilty, like I'm not thinking critically and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, like, cause it's on my side. It's what I think. And so then I like, you know, double back around to questioning things a little bit more. But like in my heart of hearts, that whole tea party takedown from last season was really enjoyable. And all I wanted to do was sit at home and go, yeah, yeah, Coke brothers, suck it. So, um, you know, if, Will, you know, as a mouthpiece for Aaron Sorkin, takes down the Romney ideology in a way that pleases my bleeding heart liberal self. There is a, a a level of enjoyment I will get from that. From a from a strict storytelling perspective, is this the best art we could hope for? Is this the best storytelling? I don't know. Um, and it might be a good idea for me to just try to enjoy it on that other level. I, I actually agree with you. We we have a lot of guests that come on and say, oh, we hated season one and how preachy it was. I actually like the preachiness, not only because most of the time I agree with it politically, but also just because whenever you get Sorkin going on a topic, the dialogue, and he, he knows how to write great monologues. And it, it sort of reminds me of what he used to do with the West Wing, where you would have these characters spouting this really eloquent dialogue about really important political issues. And even though the newsroom tends to be a little bit more one-sided whenever that happens, that that is still enjoyable to me, to see Sorkin tackle politics in such an, an eloquent way. I, I really like that. So I'm kind of with you. I have my fingers crossed that preachy Will McAvoy is going to make a return <laughs> at some point. Well, here's, my, here's the question that I have for you. What do you think is the difference between when he did it on the West Wing, when it was coming out of President Bartlett or, you know, Josh Lyman or something like that. What's the difference between that and what we see from Will McAvoy? In that, I mean, why are audiences responding so poorly to it on the newsroom and just lapped it up on the West Wing? What do you think the distinction is? I think part of it just might be context. The West Wing, you know, was about a Democratic president but there were other Republican characters that would frequently show up. So you would have these scenes of these really long debates and exchanges, and you would get to hear multiple sides. Um, and it was always really thrilling, even though usually, ultimately, the president or, or, or Sorkin 
uh, would, would tend to sympathize more with the, the left-leaning position. And I think that was really enjoyable for a lot of people. The difference here is that I think it, it might feel a little bit too combative for, for people. It, it's, it really is a lot of the time, especially in season one, it's just Will just slamming the other side and not really giving them much room at all to, to make their point. So it can feel a little bit more one-sided. Um, and if you happen to agree with that side, like like I tend to most of the time, then that's still enjoyable. But if you if you don't or you're looking for something a little bit more balanced, then I think I think it is a little bit too combative. Yeah, well, it's interesting. There was that that episode last season. I forget I forget the name of the episode, but it was the one that had the sort of therapy session frame narrative, and that's the one where where Will like went too far sort of grilling that guest on his show who right. was African-American and gay and a, a Romney supporter. Is that right? No, yes. wasn't Romney. Was it Romney? Um, uh, he, he was Republican. It was, yeah, it was a conservative candidate, you know, and Will goes too far. And it's obvious. Like, even if you agree with um, basically what Will is saying, which is like, how can you be homosexual and African-American and support this guy? Even if you can kind of agree with that, everyone could see he went too far. And I kind of liked that because Sorkin was almost like, you know, Will McAvoy is such a, a like a, a mouthpiece for Aaron Sorkin. And so I felt like it was Sorkin sort of saying, I know that I can go too far sometimes, that even I can get out of control. I don't think he was trying to say that Will was wrong. Just Will was inhuman right. in his passion. These things come up occasionally where I feel like it's Sorkin pulling himself up a bit, like up short a bit and being like, yeah, sometimes I can be too arrogant and terrible, you know, and and, and that's an interesting kind of art because I, I see Sorkin so much in his own show, in this show in particular, more and more, it seems to me to be a sort of therapy for him of like examining who he is, his beliefs, what he's trying to do as an artist, because he over and over again does these shows about making television, Sports Night, The Newsroom, Studio 60. And then The West Wing was like sort of a production in and of itself, you know, so he does right. all these like, let's put on a show shows. So they're all semi-autobiographical puts his ex-girlfriends in there and then in this one puts his politics in there and then puts this whole thing about Will's narcissistic need to uh, his need for approval, his desperate need for approval, you know? And so I feel like Sorkin's exploring some of his weaknesses up there, which I think, which I find kind of disarming and sometimes successful and sometimes not successful. So I'm sorry. I feel like I'm talking way too much. I'm sorry. No, no, that was great. <laughs> that, that was a really great point. You're right. I think you definitely can read some of Sorkin's personal life finding its way into this show. Getting back to the, the whole idea of, of preachiness, I think what season two has reminded us of is that even though you and I might really like Will when he is this one-sided, preaching, liberal propaganda machine, Sorkin really is good at making you understand multiple sides of a situation. Like, I, I'm thinking of... For example, I, I believe it was episode two this season where Don and Will disagreed about the Troy Davis situation. Oh, yeah. Situation, and I, th I think it was episode five this season, uh, Newsnight with Will McAvoy, which, which might be my favorite episode of the entire series, where Mackenzie has that little confrontation with the uh, the gay kid who wants to come out on television. 
Yeah. And, and, and those were both situations where I was able to empathize with both sides of those respective debates. And I felt like my loyalty would just automatically swing towards whoever was talking. Like, oh, that's a good point. Well, that's a good point, too. Oh, well, that's a good point. So I feel like Sorkin can really present issues in a, in a multifaceted way that does allow you to see multiple sides. And he, he's so good at dialogue that no matter what he's doing, it's, it's going to sound good. You know, if he's gonna get, if he gives you multiple sides, or if it's just Will preaching, it's gonna sound pretty good either way. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. And I think I agree. The Troy Davis thing was one of my favorite plot lines, but I think once again that speaks to my fondness for the Don character. Mm-hmm. That was maybe one of the most emotionally resonant storylines to me. And I kind of want to use that to transition into talking about what I think was the most problematic story. This season, and I know you just called me, you asked me to come on and talk about one episode and I want to talk about the entire season, so I'm sorry, but like, the Africa story with Maggie was awful. That was Aaron Sorkin at his worst, Yeah, most emotionally manipulative, most terrible, least effective, borderline offensive. It was awful. It was cringeworthy to watch. And so it's important to me to go back in the season and sort of cling to the moments that did really hit for me emotionally. Like, once again, another favorite character, the Sloan storyline where, you know, which is, which was autobiographical for Emily, uh, for Olivia Munn about mm-hmm. her, you know, nude photos of herself being released online. That to me was a hugely emotionally resonant storyline. I thought that was amazing. And then you have this Maggie bullshit where it was obviously supposed to be this amazing, heartbreaking story for us. And I think we're supposed to like Maggie a lot more than I have been able to like her. And that is, has nothing to do with Alison Pill, who I quite like in general. But I don't like the Maggie character, and I really hated that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I love Alison Pill, but Maggie's by far the weakest character on the show. Yeah. And because she's such a weak character, that's why you hear so many allegations being thrown around of, of sexism. You have critics saying that Aaron Sorkin has a women problem, which I feel like he directly addressed to a certain extent in that episode that I, that I love so much that you, you brought up with, with all the, the Olivia Munn and the Sloan situation. But in this episode, Election Night Part 1, to me it kind of felt like he was returning to some of those bad habits um, where you had Mac and Sloan both getting really, really worked up about these tiny issues and these tiny problems, which really don't matter in in the grand scheme of things, especially after all of this Operation Genoa stuff. Oh, I had forgotten. I'm sorry. I just remembered what Sloan's plotline was. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, yeah, the (laughs) dumb book thing. Yeah, the book thing. That was so dumb. I mean, to be fair, getting upset about the book signing isn't nearly as dumb as getting upset about a Wikipedia entry. But both those plot lines felt really flat to me. And I, I can understand what Sorkin was probably going for. I mean, we, we've seen in the past how characters, when something really big and really important and really heavy is going on, they will turn to these really these other small and consequential things and blow them out of proportion almost as a distraction. Uh, we saw that when Will became obsessed with Twitter when he was dealing with the news about his, his father. His dad, yeah. Yeah. So I, could, I can see what 
Sorkin was going for. But when you've had all these allegations being thrown against the show about how he doesn't know how to write female characters and the women on the show are always just so flighty and they overreact and they get upset about really small things, it felt a little bit problematic to me in this episode. I Well, I hadn't thought about that, and I think that's a really good point. I hadn't even connected those two things. I guess the one thing – I mean, not that I care to defend it really, but like the one thing I think he keeps trying to give Olivia Munn – comedy because she's so good at it. I mean, the plot line was so stupid, but she was so good in it. I don't know if he felt like he needed some comedy to sort of balance out the heaviness of what was going on. One of my big problems last year with with the, the women problem that I had was women falling down a lot <laughs> or running into things. That hasn't happened yet this this year. I know, and that's what I'm saying. So women women falling down a lot and running into things and then the whole Maggie stuff. And Maggie was still a problem this year, but like in a different way. So it was okay. They brought in Marsha Gay Harden to be another like really cool female character. I thought to sort of balance out the problems of Maggie and no one is running into things or falling down. And then they upped, you know, Olivia Munn, they upped Sloan this season. And so I feel like they adjusted the women problem in a way that, that I uh, responded well to. I mean, Mac is still. Once again, this is nothing against Emily Mortimer, who I quite like, but like, as you, as you mentioned in the, your favorite episode, I did not like the way that Mac was talking to Will about dealing with his father. I didn't like it at all. Yeah. And I want to like her. I think she's such, like, she's so cool and she's like the Felicity Huffman character from Sports Night. And I love that character. So uh, I don't know quite what it is about Mac that doesn't do it for me. I don't know. Um, you, you, you brought up everything with the physical comedy in, in season one, which is something we, we've talked about before on, on this podcast. But just thinking about it again, I, I'm thinking back and I'm, I'm realizing now that there were a few moments of physical comedy in this season. They just, tended to involve male characters. Yeah, like Don falling out of his chair. Don falling out of his chair. <laughs> Don trying not to be caught on the monitor behind yes. Will. Yeah. You know, you had really great moments like that. And so now I'm wondering, okay, if that hadn't been Don, if that had been Mac or Maggie, would it have been as funny or would have it would it have felt kind of sexist in the vein of season one well i mean it's not that like women falling down ever is sexist in and of itself right it's just the fact that it was only the female characters and it happened they went back to that well so many times and then it just made them look like flippity gibbets you know and so with the fact that it was dawn i almost felt like it was intentional they're like okay let's have the guys look like physical idiots a bit this season right and to balance it out and so like the dawn chair thing was hilarious to me and if that had then been counterbalanced in the next episode by female doing something, you know, then it like a balance, you know, it's not like a woman falling down in, as an isolated incident is sexist. Right. If it's only women doing it. Should a showrunner, should an artist respond directly to the criticisms, like like go down the checklist and be like, okay, they accuse us of having a women problem. Let's bring in Marsha Gayhart and be a strong woman. Okay, the women were falling down too much last season, so let's have the men fall. You know, like when you can see them sort of clearly ticking off these boxes, but then I would complain if they didn't tick off those boxes. So, right, right. I think you have to recognize, hey, if every critic is saying the show feels sexist, you might need to fix something. Yeah. You know, I can, I can only recall one instance last season of a guy doing something physically stupid. I, I believe there was a moment when Will had problems putting on his pants or something. 
Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's the only moment of male physical comedy that I can recall from season one, and everything else was was just entirely female characters, which is why it felt so wrong. So you're right, there definitely needs to be a balance. Moving on to some of the other things that happened in this episode, how do you feel about the Leona situation? Because I I kind of like it on a conceptual level. I like that conflict where everyone wants to resign, but she won't let them. My problem is I don't understand why she won't let them. Because I feel like Leona as a character has been out to get them from the very beginning. So why wouldn't she want them gone? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I agree with that, basically. I will say that that scene where Jane Fonda came in and she, you know, Leona was either drunk or stoned or or whatever, and the points she was making was, I get to fire you guys. You don't get to, like, you don't get to be driven out by Jerry Dantana. Right. I get to decide when you go. And he doesn't get to run my station. I do. Almost like her pride or, or whatever you want to label it, outweighs her desire to see them gone. She hates them so much she wants to be able to get rid of them herself. <laughs> well, it's not that. It's like she hates them so much, but she hates – right now she hates Jerry Dantana more. Right. They're the lesser evil, and she feels the need to squash him, and she can squash them later. It doesn't make an entire sense. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like she she came in last episode, and she was like – oh, I actually like what you're doing, and I'm very proud of the work you're doing with Newsnight. And I was just kind of like, wait, you are? <laughs> it doesn't yeah. seem like that's we, – we haven't seen any seeds of that at all throughout the entire series. So it, it just seems a little bit like too much of a sharp reversal to me. No, I agree. The logic is not a through line there at all. Right. But I liked that Reese, the Reese character, was like, yeah, I agree. You should be gone. I want you gone. <laughs> like, that was great. Christmasina, of course, has always been great. So, yeah, that was that was a great scene. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's wonderful. Let me get it. Somebody need me? Will called the Michigan first for Dan Benishek. If you called it, you called it. We didn't call it and he called it. What are you talking about? You scroll. You got Michigan 1 going red and we haven't called Michigan 1. Hang on. Hey. Yeah. Remember a few minutes ago when my iNews was overloaded and I wrote down some calls on a legal pad? It's right here. What did it say? New Hampshire 1, North Carolina 3, Ohio 7, Michigan 1. Can I see that? That's supposed to be Mississippi. It's MI. Yeah. MI is Michigan. In terms of how this is all going to play out, I find myself doubtful that this can all be resolved in one episode. And I'm, I'm not quite sure what Sorkin was going for with, with this first half of this finale, because you have this running theme of perfection running throughout the episode where Charlie keeps telling them, you can't make any mistakes. We've made this huge mistake. So now tonight has to be perfect. And it seems like every character makes a mistake. <laughs> In this episode, uh, you know, Jim calls the wrong state. Sloan makes that really, really stupid comment on the air where she gets the story wrong that, that she was trying to steal from Elliot. Oh, my God. That was so embarrassing. Yeah. That was so weird. Okay. You want to talk about flipper gibbets? Like, she looked like a complete dumbass. <laughs> yeah. I had forgotten about that, too. Wow. I guess I blocked a lot of the uh, <laughs> flightier moments. <laughs> yeah, I was just I was just thinking, wait, how is Charlie not screaming when this yeah. happens? Because that is a, a major mistake. And she she even she brings up 
Genoa, the elephant in the room, as she puts oh, it. Oh, yeah. Which was a funny moment, but I was just thinking, that's the last thing you should be doing. We should mention that Elliot was really great this this episode. Yes. I, I really liked that whole dynamic when he was like, be less desperate for female friends to her. And then she later, <laughs> I think, was like, you're twice as tall as a human should be or something like that. Again, I loved all the dialogue. Just from a character perspective, I was just kind of thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, this, absolutely. This isn't how you should be fixing the Genoa situation. And there, there was that whole thing with Jim where he went to the decision room or whatever to talk with the the head of, of, of their little tech department because he had miscalled Michigan instead of Mississippi. Right. That was interesting to me because it was sort of aping what happened with Fox News on election night where Megyn Kelly went back. I think it was Megyn Kelly. She went she went back to Fox News's little little room where they had everyone getting ready to, to call the winners, and it was a very... Oh, it's like, because Carl, Carl Rove made her. Right. He was like, go, you know? <laughs> and she was like, clearly, she was like, she's like, well, here I am, I'm going. <laughs> like, I like to watch, I like to watch Fox News on really important political nights, just to get, just to, <laughs> no, I do, just to see how bad yeah. it is, because there's no sense in watching the people that agree with me because I'm like, ah, oh, here we are sitting in a room agreeing with each other. I like to watch like, and Carl Rove had a full on meltdown on election night. It yeah, he a did. Beautiful thing. <laughs> it, it, it was, it was wonderful. I wonder if we're going to, if that's what we're going to see from Constant Zimmer next episode. <laughs> oh, I hope so. That would be great. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. So they aped that Fox News situation with Jim and then I found myself thinking, okay, well, this is an interesting situation because Jim has screwed up, but he understands that this would not be the right time to retract it, even though that's probably what they should do. That was interesting to me because Jim typically doesn't make any mistakes. This might be the first mistake we've ever seen Jim make on Newsnight. Well, and then, yeah, and then trying to cover it up. Right. I I don't know. I'm wondering if, if that's going to backfire. Yeah, I like Don's face. Like when Jim was sort of in there being like, kind of whispering to the guy trying to be like can you take it off the scroll just take it off and like they're having this conversation and don just gives him a look like what are you even doing like it was yeah that'll, yeah. that'll be interesting we'll see how that shakes out like we're not gonna retract it but we're not gonna advertise it. yeah yeah and don was like what 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 is going on yeah, yeah that was really interesting to me and I, I i just find it fascinating that it seems like almost every character in this show is screwing up even though they're not supposed to. And I, I, I'm wondering if that's going to have any consequences at all, or if Sorkin's even going to acknowledge the fact that they're performing their jobs pretty poorly. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. I hope he does call them out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. And you're, and you feel like maybe an hour is not enough time to wrap that all up. Right. I mean, just having to wait another week for election night part two, I kind of feel like we were just left hanging with a lot of these plot lines yeah no you're right well we're left hanging it's a cliffhanger it's a two if if we were binge watching this later we would watch these episodes back to back yeah so we'll just have to see how it all sort of works out and i wonder how that final if that final line where he was like what was the final line like tear me apart or whatever right he said yeah how that sits is like a last line for that episode because i really i really liked Newsnight with will mcavoy the last line was you know it's just it's just us right is that what he said right yeah, and that was really effective. That was a gut punch. 
of, of a line. Yeah. And so it's interesting because once again, we have Will just sort of speaking directly at the camera, even though not to the audience. Yeah. Jeff Daniels knows how to close an episode. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. can do it. The last thing I want to talk about is the little subplot involving Don and his scoop that he gets regarding the Petraeus scandal. Right. That was interesting to me. Uh, I remember when everything with Todd Aiken went down a year ago, everyone was like, oh, can't wait to see how the newsroom handles Todd Aiken. Everyone says that about everything now. It's yeah. so irritating. They're like, ugh, I can't wait for this episode in the newsroom. Or, ugh, Aaron Sorkin's gonna make hash out of this on the newsroom or whatever. I'm like, all right, guys, we get it. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm like with you now 100% on this Mitt Romney alternative timeline thing. Yeah. I would love to get out of this. Anyway. Well, here is that finally reared its head regarding this other politician who had said something similar to Todd Akin 20 years ago. That is how Don ended up getting the scoop about the Petraeus scandal. And I just found myself wondering, why this story? Why the Petraeus affair? Why is Sorkin choosing this one? It just seems like a really weird story to choose. Maybe it's just because in terms of the timeline, that's the big story that happened next. But it just felt really weird to me because if breaking this story is what is going to restore credibility to Newsnight, it just seems like a really weird story <laughs> for that to happen because I, I feel like a sex scandal is something Will would not normally want to report. You know, he, he seems to really dislike Nina's work. He seems to dislike gossip, tabloidy type stories. So I just find it hard to believe that suddenly they're going to rush to this to a sex scandal as the story that could save them. I don't know that they are. Like, I felt like that was Charlie's reaction. Charlie's reaction was, are you kidding me with this sex scandal bullshit? Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this story. I thought he was freaking out because it was about the military. And they, they don't have any credibility regarding the military. Oh, yeah. That was my interpretation was like, this is a sleazy story and i don't want to do it oh okay okay maybe maybe that's the case i i, yeah. I think it'll be really weird if sorkin suddenly decides that this is the story that's going to restore their credibility because that it just doesn't make sense to me that a sex scandal would be that story i, I don't think it would be but i i was just wikipedia the petraeus affair while we were talking and it does look like it broke on election day okay basically so they i feel like they had to talk about it that's true you know, they had to talk about it. And even if they just talk about it and Charlie is like, I don't want, you know, his, if his, if my interpretation is right and his reaction is, I don't want to do this. It's like, you know, the Casey Anthony thing all over again. This is like sleazy tabloid journalism that we don't want to do. Or maybe, maybe what it'll come down to is, do they feel they have to do it? Like the Casey Anthony thing. Like it's a, it's a scandal they don't want to talk about, but it's such big news that they have to. How ironic would it be if, the story that restores their credibility is one that really probably shouldn't <laughs> restore right. their credibility. Yeah. That's that's sort of a that would be a rather scathing indictment of the TV news industry. I might. feel like Sorkin's whole relationship with television journalism just kind of confounds me most of the time. I can't decide if he wants to celebrate it and celebrate a lot of the hard work that goes into it, or if he just thinks most of it's bullshit. I don't know that he knows. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. He probably doesn't. Maybe maybe his battle is the same battle that Will's facing. Like, hey, I have the stuff that I want to talk about, but then also we need ratings 
to what extent is that a bad thing? Well, we'll have to see next week, I guess. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see how it all wraps up. Um, is there anything else you want to say about Election Night Part 1 or the newsroom in general? I don't think so. I think we covered all the things. We definitely talked about women falling down. So that, that yes. was number one on my list. So yes. we're good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I still have my fingers crossed that Romney is going to win the election. And that will allow Sorkin to go into this alternate timeline where anything is possible. And he can manufacture plenty of anti-Republican ammunition if this is an alternate universe where Romney wins. So yeah, got my fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Navigating the Newsroom. We would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at navigatingthenewsroom at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and Avenging Angels. Joanna, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Come back anytime. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me every day on Padiba.com. Uh, I just started writing for Vulture.com. You can find me on SlashFilm.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at QuitYourJRob. You can find some of my writing at MovieMezzanine.com and Pathios.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson, and remember, whatever you do, don't shred this podcast. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!